So holidays, and, and this is potentially happening to you, potentially not, but holidays are some of the saddest times for people. Now, why is that? Why are holidays some of the saddest times for people? Because there's an expectation for you to be celebrating right now, and you might not know what exactly you're supposed to be celebrating. There's an expectation for you to be celebrating, but you might not feel like you have anything to celebrate at all. And so today what I want to do is I want to help give a reason for you to celebrate big today, to party big today. And while you're partying, at the same time, realizing that life in this world is not the way it's supposed to be. Holding those two things in tension, that there's a reason to celebrate, yet at the same time, you're not ignoring the reality that life in this world is not your ultimate hope and your ultimate desire. So most nights, uh, my son, Kale, our middle child, um, when it's time for bed, we'll like make up stories. And so we have this story that we keep telling about uh, this guy, we named him Hero, and he's always saving the day, and he's always rescuing people. And, but the story always has to end with this big party where there's dancing, where there's loud music, and there's all this healthy food flying through the air like cupcakes and candy and donuts. And in fact, if we don't get to that part of the story, he always says, but and then what? And then what? And he keeps saying, and then what, until we get to the party. And that's what I want you to do today, is to keep saying, and then what? And then what? You're in this place in your life right now, but and then what? And then what does God do? And what is God doing? And after he's done that, what happens? And continue to ask this question until you come to the end of the story where the promises of the resurrection have flooded into your life and you realize, oh man, that is my future. That is my hope. I can party even today, even though I am in a world that is filled with pain and suffering and loss. And I tell you, every Easter, I'm always tempted for us to just break out the mimosas like right now and start. I, I am, and here, here's why. Because there is a reason to celebrate. And, and here's the other thing. As bad of a dancer as I am, today is the day that has caused for even the worst of dancers to have a reason to embarrass themselves and dance. I'm not going to do it right now, but, but I'm just saying. Today is about victory. That God has come and he has claimed victory for us. And he's going to fix this mess and one day everything is going to be perfect. And the resurrection of Christ is the beginning of that process. However, we live in this strange period of time. We live in this strange era, you might say. We live in this strange period period in history that the theologians call the now but the not yet, meaning God's kingdom has come, but it's not yet fully here. The resurrection has ushered a power into this world, but the fullness of his power has not yet fully been revealed. So there's reason to celebrate, yet at the same time, there's still suffering and loss and pain. And so depending on what's going on in your life right now, maybe you're ready to party. And maybe some of you are feeling like there is no reason to party at all. And some of you are 
wanting to party, but you're wanting to ignore what life is like in this world, and you're wanting to ignore people who are suffering. But then, at the same time, some of you are suffering, and you're in pain, and you're angry at the people who are able to have this party and to celebrate. And what, what Christianity does now is teach us to hold both of these in tension, where life is not as it's meant to be, but God has come, Victory has been claimed, and so we have cause and reason to celebrate. That's the time we live in, keeping both intention. Have you guys heard of the Stockdale Paradox? Not the Stockholm Syndrome, but the Stockdale Paradox, which, which says this. So it's about this guy named Admiral Jim Stockdale. And he was, he was captured, him and all of his men, the, the military, and he's captured and all of his men are put in this war prison and they're tortured over and over and over again. And some of his men die and some of his men live. And he's interviewed later after they have been set free and they asked him, why, do, why did some die and some men live? And he said, well, it's actually pretty simple, the answer. He said, those that never thought we'd get out they just gave up and died. But those who were overly optimistic said, we're going to be out by Christmas. And then we're going to be out by Easter. And Christmas and Easter came and went, and so they died of a broken heart. And he said that the ones that actually survived are the ones that dealt with the reality that they were in this war prison, and they weren't getting out anytime soon, yet they held on to the hope that one day they will get out. And that, those are the ones who survived. They held both of them in tension. The, the brutal facts of what life is like, yet holding on to the hope that they would one day be set free. And our verses today are teaching us how to do that. To confront the brutal facts of life in this world. Yet, holding on to the hope of the resurrection. Here's the picture I want you to hold on to today. Life in this world is a bit like being in that prison. We're captive to it. We can't see beyond what's in front of us. We have pain. We're being tortured in a way. We're suffering. We know loss and tragedy. But in the resurrection, the key is beginning to be turned and the doors are beginning to be opened, and we're beginning to be set free, though we are not fully free yet. But the enemy outside of the walls of the prison has been defeated, and we are beginning to be set free. And so we're in this prison in a way, but we're beginning to celebrate because we know we're going home, but we're not yet home, but we know the party is there. And so then what happens is you actually begin to have this party in the prison because you know what your future holds. Today, I want to teach you to hold on to that hope while we're in this world that we are in. Because if you don't learn to do that, you're going to be like those who die in that prison. All right, so here's our verses. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians 8, 3, verses 18, and then we're going to jump to chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 16 through chapter 5 or 7. So here we go. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. From this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So, we do not lose heart. 
Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Okay, now Paul, the writer here, in chapter 3, verse 18, he, he says, As we behold the glory of the Lord, as we're beholding it, we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Now, Paul is doing something genius here. He's taking us back to an ancient truth that we've actually been talking a lot about lately, where we are called the image of God. Now, here's what this means. Here's the essence of what it means to be made in the image of God. It means that we are like mirrors, Living, breathing mirrors. We have life, we have soul, we have being, and we're the, these living, breathing mirrors. And that means, so let me ask this question, what defines a mirror? Whatever's standing in front of it. And so that means that a mirror is defined by what it has fixed its eyes upon. So here's what Paul is doing. He's saying, as we realize that there is more to life than this, we start searching. We start searching for out, something outside the walls of this prison that we are in to look for a great rescuer, to look for a great hope. And when we find him, we behold his glory. And as mirrors, look at what we're doing. We're looking at him, we're beholding his glory, and by doing that, we are being transformed because the essence of what a mirror is is taking the shape of whatever it's beholding. And so we're being transformed. We're growing because we're looking to him. But you have to look outside the walls of the prison of this world. You have to look to the unseeable. You have to hope that rescue is coming. And then as you hope that rescue is coming, you begin to look for him. And then you begin to see signs that, hey, despite everything, this is actually true. The hints become stronger and stronger, and they, become re they start resonating in you. You say, no, I actually believe this is true now, but you've got to look outside the walls of this world. And what's so significant here is that it's the pain that causes you to look. It's the pain that causes you to groan. So those were captured and those who were tortured in this war prison. They could only physically see what was right in front of them. But in order for them to hope, what did they have to do? They had to envision something outside of the walls that they could not see into, out of. They had to envision something that they could hope in. What, see, they're, they're looking with their hearts. They're looking with their souls. They're looking with their imagination. That's something they can't see. And here's the thing. It's their groaning that causes them to look. Their affliction and their suffering, they're saying, 
life is not as it's meant to be right now. And so they look. There's still yet a better way, these prisoners are saying. And that is what our verses are getting at. We are groaning right there. We are groaning. Beautiful, perfect. We're groaning in this life looking for something. We're desperate for some hope. The afflictions. And so that's what our verses are getting at. And so we got to think about it. So think about it like this, okay? So we're groaning the same way someone's changing a, a car tire and they're underneath the car and the jack slips out and the weight of the car all of a sudden is crushing on their chest. Now, don't, yes, they shouldn't be changing a tire that way, okay? So don't change a tire that way, but ignore that because it, it messes with, with what I'm trying to tell you. So just pretend the weight of the car is on this person and they're pushing with all their might to keep it off, but they, all they can see is this car. But what are they doing? They're crying out for some hope. They can't see the hope, but they're crying out for it, hoping that someone can hear them, hoping that someone is there to come and lift the weight of this car up off of them. You're suffering now. Your pain, your loss, your grief, they're all afflictions that are causing you to groan for some type of relief. Christ is the only one who has this eternal weight of glory to him that is weighty enough that can come and rip this car up off of you. The weight of this world is too much and there is nothing, nothing else that can lift these sufferings off of you but him. What, what is this car representing? What is this suffering representing? It's pain from aging in this world. It's pain from depression and anxiety. It's pain from sickness or from this slow death of boredom where you feel like your life has no purpose in it at all. Guilt from sins in your life. Shame from the things that you've done. You're, feeling, you're just feeling of being unloved and you're desperate to find love, but it's not coming. Wounds from relationships, from your parents, from your friends, from your lovers. These are the weight of the afflictions that we feel and we are groaning for a rescuer. The groaning is what makes you a living, breathing mirror look for something to hope in. And the Christian usually becomes a Christian before they turn 18 or after they're 18, it usually takes some type of difficulty that pushes them into looking for this hope. And that makes sense. And actually what happens, if you become a Christian early in life and then later in life you go through something very difficult, what you find is you come out of that difficulty with a renewed faith, with a greater faith. Why does this happen? Because it takes something difficult. It takes something heavier than you can carry for you to start looking for the one who can lift it up off of you. And so you look, and you eventually arrive at Christ, who does this for you, and nothing else works. And sure, after it's all over, you have a scar from it. You have a scar from the pain of whatever's going on in your life, but you say, ah, it was all worth it because it was, 
it was what led me to him. In fact, the way I was living my life, this pain, this suffering, I would have never turned to him. I needed something weightier than I could handle to drive me to him, to make me look to him, to make me search for him. And it's then that I arrived at him. So it was all worth it because it gave me him in the end. That is why it says, so we don't lose heart. Because we have courage in the midst of it because we have him. We found the great hope. But, but, not only do we look to him now, but we also have to look for our future hope that is to come. So this is the second point. This is our hope. It says our outer self is wasting away. But our inner self is being renewed day by day by day for these light momentary afflictions are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. So we just saw that once we found Christ, we say, oh, it was all worth it. Whatever it needed to get me to him, it was all worth it because I just want, I, I'm realizing I just needed him in the end. And it's by going to him. It's by the affliction. It's by the pain that prepared us to not just meet him, but then to search, to reach for the hope that is to come. The affliction makes us strong today because it makes us look for the one that is to come, where he's going to set this future up and make everything right now. Watch, watch, watch. So You've got to see what's going on here. So we're like mirrors, right? And we're looking to him, but we're also looking to the world that is to come. Now, if you're looking to the world that is to come as a mirror, what's happening? You're looking to the future. You're looking for these great, to these great promises that God's going to give you. Now, as a mirror, when you look, what happens? That future world, that future promise, it begins to inhabit you now. You begin to take on the images of heaven. You begin to take on the images of God's kingdom because you're setting your hope upon this great future as a mirror. That's what happens to you. That's the essence of what happens when you look to the kingdom that is to come. And so you do that. And then here's what happens. Heaven begins to start inhabiting you and you begin to become too much for this world. The world does not know what to do with you. You have a foreign love that begins to live inside of you and it is too much for the world to understand because it's, it's, it's an eternal love. And then you have this eternal hope and this eternal peace that's beginning to inhabit you now even because of what you're setting your hope upon as a mirror. And here's what that means you can start doing. You can start partying. You can start celebrating in the midst of the pain and the suffering and the loss because of what your eyes are fixed upon. Your outer self is wasting away by everything that's coming at you, but your inner self is being renewed day by day because of what you're fixing your hope upon. So you say, the world, go ahead, do your worst to me. Because when you do, it's going to make me look to my Savior. It's going to be, make me look to my future, and that's going to inhabit me now, and then I'm going to begin to live differently, and I'm going to change, and I'm going to grow, and I'm going to be transformed. See, our biggest problem is we don't fix our eyes upon eternity enough. And it's probably because we don't think it's very practical to fix our eyes on eternity. But what I want you to know is it's the most practical thing for you to do. 
It's the path to have a happiness that cannot be lost, despite what's happening in your life. It can't be stolen away from you by the weight of this world like that car that's pressing up upon you. Let me, show, let me say it this way. Let me show it this way. So we're mirrors. We're looking to the future. It's changing us now. So think about it this way. So have you guys heard of that show, uh, Dirty Jobs? This guy, Mike Rowe, he goes and finds the dirtiest jobs. And he's like, I'm going to go do those jobs for a day. And so he goes and does these jobs. So someone asked him, what was the worst? Like, what was the dirtiest job that you had to do? And he talked about uh, a, like, a waste plant that he had to go, they had to go and clean something and change something out of it. And so a- as he's doing this, what basically happens is you have to swim through waste. You know, yeah, ew, ew. You know, you guys know it's, it's poop, so uh, it's gross. Um, now, here's my question. Can this person enjoy themselves as they're doing this? Well, actually, it depends. Here's a, because, look, think about this. So the person who's taking this job uh, minimum wage, there's no other job for them, they just got to take the job, they're, not gonna, they're likely not going to enjoy this job. But if a person is being promised at the end of this, you're going to have a billion dollars, then as they're swimming through this, they're just thinking about their future. They're thinking about what's going to happen when they're done. And actually, they could maybe giggle a little bit in excitement about what's to come, even though they're swimming through the waste because of what the future promise is. It depends on what your future is, and that will shape how you swim through the waste of this world. That will change how you swim through the promises of this world, or be the problems of this world. What do you know about your future? Easter is the day where we remind ourselves as mirrors that we have a future that we are walking into, and it's an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We're celebrating the life that is to come. And so that means when suffering hits you in the face, you can turn back at it and smile at it. It's to say to this world, do your worst to me, because when you do... It just makes me discover my Savior more. When you do your worst to me, it makes me fix my eyes all the more on my future hope. And I'm changed because I'm a mirror and I'm fixing my eyes upon the world that is to come. And it's beginning to inhabit me now. And the only way to do this is to look outside of the walls of this world. The world outside of it to this coming rescue. You, you got to look to the unseen. There's already victory claimed. You just have to let it settle in. Christ has risen. And it is ushered in a new world and ushered in a new kingdom, but we're still waiting for it to fully settle in. And death, even death, all it can bring you, all it can do is bring you further into the resurrection. Suffering can only make you groan more and look more as a mirror to your future hope. And you become changed. And I'm not talking about some type of change where you have this behavior modification or you're modifying areas of your life. I'm talking about deep internal change where you're becoming a new person day by day by day as you're beholding the glory of Christ and the glory that is to come. You know what? We need to get off 
Facebook and Instagram today. And here's why. Because when we're on Facebook and Instagram today especially, what we're doing is we're looking in on someone else's party. We're looking in on what they're doing today. What I'm saying is put it down, be in the moment of the party that you are in. Because when you go on Instagram, when you go on Facebook, you know what that's like? That's like being at a dance and watch, sitting on the sidelines and watching everybody else dance. Uh, today's the day where even people who can't dance, dance. And the key to all this, the key to actually gripping this faith and making it, or this hope and making it yours, is faith. Our last verse says, walk by faith and not by sight. And this is not referring to blind faith. This is not referring to an unreasonable faith. This is referring to a faith that has the courage to look at what life is like in this world, yet take grips of the hope that is to come. It's a faith that has the courage to look at what reality is and yet look outside of the walls of this world to what is coming in the future. Christ has come and he has claimed victory over sin, over death, over evil. And we are just now waiting for the prison gates for him to rip them open and carry us out into freedom and into the new world we are made for. In this prison, you look outside of the world's world to the one who has come, who is fighting for you and who has fought and who has died and who has let himself be susceptible to death so that he might do something about your sin. And he's gone into the deepest of death, this eternal death, and he's broken up out of it so that you can break up out of it as well. And so when you look at this, you start to realize, wow, I'm in this prison, but actually I'm still free. This prison can't do anything to me because that's my future. And as a mirror, you're holding on to this future hope and you begin to live like you're free even though you're in the prison of this world. You become to be made of the stuff of heaven even though you're in this world because your eyes are fixed on this hope and it's becoming more and more of a sure thing and you're growing in your faith and then all of a sudden you realize, man, whatever, I don't care. I got Christ. Do whatever you want to me. This is enough. He is enough. I'm just waiting for this future hope to come. Man. There is reason to celebrate. So party hard today. I mean, don't get in trouble, but but I am serious. There's reason to celebrate. Alright, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have sent your son to live the life we should have lived, to die the death that was ours, and to usher in a resurrected life for us. God, we don't want to waste this new life that you've given us. God, let the weight of what we're going through right now drive us to you. And God, prepare us now. Let's say, God, that we have something coming in the future that's going to be hard for us. Prepare us now for that so that we might now go to you in preparation for it so we might learn the art of going to you and being with you and discovering you. God, come and get us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.